Hi, Eric Goldwine here from LTCCC's Nursing Home 411 podcast. Up next, you'll hear our latest webinar, which focuses on racism as a fundamental cause of long-term care inequities. This excellent program is led by Dr. Shekinah Fashaw Walters, whose research on schizophrenia diagnoses among Black residents was recently featured in the New York Times. Video and slides from the program are available at nursinghome411.org slash webinar LTC dash inequity. And we'll post that link for you in the show notes. We'll have more podcast episodes for you in the coming weeks, including an interview about a must-watch Vice News documentary detailing how nursing homes hide profits and conversations about the White House's proposed nursing home reforms. We hope you enjoy this presentation by Dr. Shekinah Fashaw-Walters on racism as a fundamental cause of long-term care inequities. It is definitely um, great to be here with you all. I am very appreciative of the invite um, and looking forward to the time that we'll spend here together. I typically uh, like these conversations to uh, or presentations to be more conversational. Uh, so I look forward to the question and answer period uh, following this presentation. I'll also mention, um, just because I am really pumped up right now, uh, I am leaving a conference um, and workshop that's hosted here at the University of Minnesota by our Center for Anti-Racism Research for Health Equity, uh, where we've just had a wealth of conversation around what structural racism is and how we measure it. And I like to bring uh, sort of a ton of that knowledge to the work that I do here within the long-term care space. So looking forward to today's conversation. And since I am here at Minnesota, I usually like to open these presentations with a land acknowledgement um, and, and just let you all know where we are as a land-grant institution, the University of Minnesota. Uh, we like to recognize that we gather on the traditional land of the Dakota people, uh, past and present, and we acknowledge with gratitude the land itself and the people we take to heart and commit through action uh, to learn and honor the traditional cultural uh, Dakota values of courage, wisdom, respect, and generosity. So throughout today's uh, presentation or conversation, as I like to call it, uh, we'll be talking a bit about inequities in care and outcomes within long-term care to hopefully uh, assure that we're all in the same place of understanding uh, what's the state of the current literature as we know it. Um, and I'm sure many of you also have your own experiences uh, working within this setting. And then we'll talk about how racism ties into the inequities that we're seeing what's been um, shown in the literature, and then we'll also end with a pathway forward. Sometimes these conversations can be really heavy, and so hopefully towards the end we'll have some points uh, where we can discuss a little bit more about uh, spaces where we can advocate around and help to move things forward. So I usually uh, start these conversations uh, giving just an overview of the literature, the seminal knowledge that we have, and where I draw a lot of, of uh, sort of information from uh, that becomes the basis for how we think about inequities in long-term care. So Black nursing home residents are more likely to reside in lower quality and segregated nursing homes, as many of us know. 
Um, there is a paper from 2007 uh, that was put out in Health Affairs that describes the racial segregation in the U.S. nursing homes and its relationship to racial disparities in the quality of care. The segregation of nursing homes uh, in this 2000 data used by this study mirrored residential segregation within urban areas. And as a uh, result of this, Black nursing home residents were more likely than white residents to be located in nursing homes that have serious deficiencies, lower staffing ratios, and greater financial vulnerability. This segregation still exists today and poses a serious uh, barrier towards progress. In 2015, almost a decade later, another pay, uh, paper was written on racial segregation and the quality of care uh, disparities in uh, U.S. nursing homes. In this paper, uh, through some fancy econometric analyses, they examine um, the contributions of travel distance as a source of nursing home segregation, um, racial disparities, and nursing home quality. And what they found was that there was no evidence of differential willingness to pay for quality uh, by race among first-time nursing home residents, uh, but they did find significant distance effects. So a lot of times where you live uh, really defines the type of services that you can receive. So we'll talk more about that. Another seminal paper uh, written by one of my mentors is entitled Driven to Tears. This was published back in 2004. Um, and it, what it found was that uh, lower tiered nursing homes consisted of facilities housing mainly Medicaid residents, and uh, these facilities had very limited resources. So nursing homes serving more Medicaid uh, Residents had fewer nurses, lower occupancy rates, they had more health-related deficiencies, they were more likely to be terminated from the Medicaid or Medicare program, and they also uh, were disproportionately located in the poorest counties and more likely to serve Black residents than any of the other facilities. So we talk about this two-tiered system of nursing homes. In 2008, another paper came out about the relationship between state Medicaid policies and nursing home racial composition uh, and the risk of hospitalization for black and white residents. And it found that increasing Medicaid reimbursements by $10 could reduce the odds of hospitalizations for by 4% for white residents and 22% for Black residents. Another older paper uh, in 2009 on Black-white disparities in nursing homes found disparities both within and between nursing homes. So not only were minoritized residents accessing lower quality nursing homes within uh, but even within the same nursing homes as their white counterparts, they may uh, be experiencing differences in the quality of care. So this examination of within and between nursing home differences and disparities is so important because of what it means for interventions that are either based on um, interpersonal, and we'll talk more about what that means, interpersonal discrimination or structural racism or discrimination. Uh, and so we can discuss that a bit more and how racism ties into this. I do want to pause and say, although there is this wealth of literature 
on racial ethnic disparities in nursing homes, none of these older studies took the time to identify and explicitly name racism as the cause of these disparities. But hopefully by the end of this presentation, you'll see that racism really is the common thread throughout all of these disparities that we see. Another paper that I often um, turn to uh, by one of my mentors, one of the reasons that I'm here, Dr. Latarsha Chisholm, talks about uh, financial and quality performance and how this differs between nursing homes with high proportions of Black residents and nursing homes with no or medium proportions of Black residents. It found that nursing homes with no Black residents uh, had higher revenues, higher operating margins, and even though their total profit margins were higher, uh, they exhibited better processes and outcomes than nursing homes with high proportions of Black residents. And so she concluded that nursing homes' financial viability and quality of care are influenced by the racial composition of uh, nursing home residents and in turn uh, by racism itself. And so policymakers need to consider initiatives to improve both the financial and quality uh, performance of nursing homes, but especially of those serving predominantly Black residents. And then the last piece I like to point out here is that these disparities don't differ uh, for residents with dementia. In fact, there's oftentimes an interactive effect that we see uh, where uh, racial ethnic disparities are exacerbated by the presence of dementia as well. In terms of quality measures, Black nursing home residents have a higher risk of antipsychotics, physical restraint, catheter use, and feeding tube use. Uh, Black residents are less likely to receive vaccines or have their pain treated appropriately. Uh, they have higher rates of hospital uh, deaths and lower rates of hospice use all of which are very important measures of quality. These are the sorts of quality measures, as you all know, that CMS looks at in order to provide these five-star quality ratings. But as we can discuss further, these quality ratings really don't consider the disparities that exist and in turn don't do much to mitigate these inequities and may actually exacerbate the disparities we see. And then lastly, um, in terms of, of inequities that we see, older adults of color have a lower quality of life. Uh, and we also know that fewer older adults of color use assisted living. There are differences in home and community-based services access and quality, um, and there has also been an increase in nursing home use uh, by minoritized residents, uh, which a recent project of mine has also explored. I do want to pause and um, sort of mention some of the language that I'm using here. A lot of times in this older literature, we'll see uh, folks referred to as minorities, but we actually know that the demographics are shifting where the minorities are actually starting to become a majority. And so I oftentimes will use terms such as minoritized populations because this is more about the act of my minoritizing or marginalizing a group of individuals and less about who that group of individuals really is. 
when we talk about disparities, I think it's important to really think about the difference between a disparity and inequity, um, or even a difference. There can be a difference that exists, but that difference may not actually be a disparity. Um, and what we are talking about when we're talking about disparities are um, differences that actually exacerbate or further disadvantage already marginalized and disadvantaged communities. And then once we start thinking about inequities or equity itself, we're talking about a matter of justice. Um, we're talking about uh, something that is unfair. We're talking about something oftentimes that is avoidable. And so that is sort of the difference. And I lean more towards talking about inequities because we know that many of these disparities are driven by structural racism, which is something that is unfair, unjust, and something that's avoidable. Uh, I also really like to show this graphic. I've oftentimes only seen it um, with equality and equity pictured, uh, but here there's this graphic that shows both reality and justice. So our reality is disparities exist. You know, a lot of times in this disparities and health equity research, we talk about how we've already documented. I show you three slides of these inequities, these disparities already documented. We know they exist, but now it's about getting deeper and understanding why they exist. Uh, so the reality is disparities exist. If we uh, think about disparities in the lens of everything should be equal, this really uh, assumes that everyone benefits from the same supports, but really equality can exacerbate disparities. And so I'll show you a little bit more of what that looks like uh, as it relates to nursing home policy. The other piece of this is equity. Equity says that everyone needs to get the supports that they need. Okay, so you can see the shorter person in this graphic has two boxes, um, as opposed to the taller person already has what they need. Uh, and so there's no need to add any boxes under that person. So then the last piece of this, which is a newer piece that I really like, is justice. Justice says that the causes of inequity should just completely be removed. These systemic barriers should be addressed and removed. Uh, and so that is what our work in long-term care really needs to start moving towards, is more of justice, less of equality, more of equity. Researchers oftentimes say that zip code is a better predictor of health than the health care received. But I like to say that's because your zip code predicts the health care that you can receive. We know from different parts of the literature that high quality providers, whether they be physicians, hospitals, assisted livings, today we're talking about nursing homes, some of my work is also on home health, we know that these higher quality providers, regardless of the services they're providing, that they're less likely to serve within disadvantaged or minoritized communities. And more broadly, uh, when we talk about zip code, what we're really talking about are the social determinants of health. Many researchers have identified and are still working to identify and build the connections between the social determinants of health and health outcomes. So uh, many of these social, de uh, de social determinants of health can be linked to health inequities as well as structural racism. 
And where there are some folks who may say that the racial disparities we see, the ones I showed you in the first few slides, um, are pretty simple. They're all driven by economics. If we paid more or if people had more money, that's that's sort of the that would be the deciding factor. That's what would create the change. But and, and in turn, it's not really about race, racialization, um, or anything related to racism. However, the differences that we see are actually a manifestation of structural racism. There has been work done to show that structural racism is a root cause for the socioeconomic differences that we oftentimes blame for the disparities that we see within healthcare and even within nursing homes. Racism happens at three levels, and I get this from Dr. Kamara Jones, and I like to encourage people to go and read uh, The Gardener's Tale. It really gives a clear picture using a gardener and flowers and soil and pots <laughs> to allow us to understand exactly how racism is working and how it is operationalized at multiple levels. So when we talk about racism, Oftentimes, what people think of is the first level of racism, which is personally mediated or interpersonal racism. And that can be uh, prejudice or discrimination. It can be anything from being followed around in a store to being called a name or being told that you speak very well for a Black girl. And I've heard that myself and I sort of go, well, what does that mean? Because as a human that is educated, I should be able to speak very well. What does race have to do with that? And so oftentimes when we think about racism, we're thinking about these interpersonal levels. Even when we think about uh, racism and how it might operate within nursing homes, as I discussed that within and between nursing homes, if we see differences within a nursing home, we should be thinking a little bit more about sort of those interpersonal biases that exist. Another level of racism that not much work has been done on uh, this level is internalized racism. And this is what happens when people experience the other two levels of racism of both that interpersonal and we'll talk a bit about institutionalized racism. And they start to believe that the racism they're experiencing is justified. It happens when black and brown folks start to accept the limitations to their own full humanity and then it starts to limit how they can dream. It limits their self-expression, limits their self-determination. And pieces that I think are really important in this long-term care space is that it limits their autonomy and their dignity, their right to know what is fair and what is just in the places that they're aging. And then the last piece or the last level of racism is this institutionalized level of racism. And I will pause and say that Although there hasn't been much work done around internalized racism, I don't think we can address internalized racism until we address institutionalized and interpersonal racism. So institutionalized racism uh, is normative. It's oftentimes legalized, and it's important to remember that it's inherited advantage as well as inherited disadvantage. Oftentimes in these conversations, I hear people say, but I'm not racist. And sure, maybe you as an individual, you aren't racist, but in many ways you may have inherited advantages 
from a racist system. And as a result, then you also have the power to change that system. So I like us to keep this in mind within these conversations and during these conversations of structural and institutional racism. You yourself may not be racist, but you may in many ways be complicit with the powers that be. And I like to admit, as am I in many ways, as an Ivy League educated, now R1 research um, assistant professor. And it's important that we start to check these privileges at the door before proceeding into these conversations to understand the lived experiences of many marginalized populations. Racism can be found in past, present, and future policies that hurt disadvantaged communities. It leads to an uneven distribution of almost everything and anything you can think of, including material resources. So that's money, housing, healthcare, access to nursing homes, quality of nursing homes. And it also leads to an uneven distribution of power. That is to say, who's in the popular media, who can run for political office, and whose voice can be heard. It explains the connection between socioeconomic status and race within our country, uh, country, as I mentioned earlier, and it is the most fundamental of the three levels of racism that we discuss here. Uh, and honestly, this level of racism must be addressed for important change to truly occur. These structures um, of racism were often created deliberately uh, via processes, most notably of redlining and predatory lending. And I like to guarantee people, and I feel like I can say this pretty boldly, that we will continue to see structural and institutional racism um, found in our future policies if we remain colorblind in our policies and our practices. And when I talk about policies, I'm talking about big P policies at the federal level, as well as policies and practices within nursing home organizations. Uh, racism is a, a large interconnected system of structures and policies that both, again, advantage and disadvantage people based on the social construction of race. Race, there's nothing about race that is biological. That is to say that race has been socially constructed and created through structures of white supremacy to place one group above another group. There's nothing genetic about race, okay? There is actually more genetic diversity in each racial group than there is across racial groups. So structural racism, um, as I mentioned, is a system. And the word that strikes me within this definition that's on your screen is the word norms, because norms are an everyday thing that we don't bother to question, right? It's that comfort zone that won't allow us to progress. And I like to say it's no wonder why when COVID-19 happened, and it started to change our everyday norms, and we've all gotten used to this new normal, that many of us started to see racism and disparities in a whole new light. I don't think that the world would have awakened to the murder of George Floyd in the way that they did if we had not been in the middle of a pandemic, because George Floyd and what happened to him was not a new occurrence for a lot of folks within the Black and Brown community. This was not something that we woke up in went, oh my God, another one? It was sort of like another one, right? And so I think as norms start to shift and change, that's when we start to have new ways in which we can see racism come to light. 
I like to share various definitions. So I have a couple more for you, but I like this definition of structural racism by Bailey that says structural racism is the totality of ways in which societies foster racial discrimination through mutually enforcing these systems, I like to say, that make up our social determinants of health. Because if we go back a slide, you will see that many of those bolded characteristics that I had there are also aligned with those structural determinants of health. Structural racism uh, is also defined as a macro level system or macro level systems of social forces, institutions, ideologies. So there's a piece of culture there where racism becomes embedded within a culture uh, and processes that interact with one another to generate and reinforce inequities among racial and ethnic groups. One of my mentors, Dr. Gilbert G, uh, describes racism as an iceberg. And we know from icebergs that what you see on the surface is the least of your worries. Here, what you see on the surface um, of overt white supremacy, of socially unacceptable racism, are forms of racism that we think we've gotten rid of in a lot of different forms. But under that, underneath um, the surface are even more sort of uh, difficult and uh, difficult problems to deal with, right? So um, although these sort of covert forms of racism that lie under the surface may seem mundane, uh, they have a weathering effect. So racial segregation, wage gaps, food scarcity, all of these are a form of what some scholars refer to as new racism. There's also an issue of uh, colorblindness, which you'll see really close to the top of uh, the surface that's right under that line. Um, and this thought that we are in a post-racial America. And honestly, these thoughts of colorblindness and being in a post-racial America are sorely misguided. These are also forms of racism. Uh, as are many of the other issues that you see uh, sort of lying below the surface in this pyramid. I like to refer to the election of Obama as a symbolic barrier that's being eroded. But in actuality, what I've learned is that covert racism thrives off of these illusions of a colorblind or post-racial America. Um, and these colorblind policies can be very uh, deceiving. So we see racism manifested through multiple different forms, whether it's race science, police brutality, residential segregation, environmental racism, education, um, our criminal justice system, so many different levels. And so now you're probably wondering, well, how is structural racism manifested within long-term care or long-term services and supports? And so I like to make a few broad connections and I'm happy to talk about these more deeply as well. But the first one I like to call out is the availability of long-term care uh, resources and services. What we've seen over the years um, and what research has shown is a white flight from nursing homes that's very similar to the white flight from neighborhoods where minoritized um, where, uh, I'm sorry, where minoritized residents uh, started to move only a few decades ago. 
Research also shows us that uh, community-based options such as larger assisted living facilities are less likely to serve in underserved or minoritized low-income communities. Uh, the availability of high quality um, long-term services and supports in nursing homes is also a really big concern. Nursing home care, as we saw from some of the literature early on, is highly segregated and high proportion uh, black and brown nursing homes, uh, those nursing homes that serve a high proportion of black, indigenous and other people of color are structurally different from primarily white nursing homes. And as I mentioned earlier, they have fewer staff, greater reliance on Medicaid reimbursement. Uh, and these, these, uh, this reliance on Medicaid may not actually cover the cost of care. So we see that a lot of those organizational features that are associated with lower quality care and lower uh, quality of life are oftentimes uh, centered within these nursing homes that have higher proportions of Black residents. Uh, I also like to point out colorblind policies. Okay, so, or, or first, let me talk about uh, COVID-19 and environmental racism. So. Environmental racism is the idea that uh, minoritized populations are centered within certain environments that are riskier for their health. So it's not that being Black or living in a predominantly Black neighborhood is a risk for your health. The issue is that these neighborhoods have been redlined to particular areas that are more riskier for your health, whether that be uh, contaminated water, and we think about Flint, Michigan, or whether that be um, in, in tough uh, hurricane zones, and we can think about what happens to nursing homes during uh, Katrina or other natural disasters. And then we can also think about COVID-19. So a lot of predominantly Black nursing homes were in neighborhoods with higher trans mission rates. That is not by chance. That is not random. That is structural. Another piece um, now uh, that we can talk about, uh, well, let me add this in here, around the low pay and limited benefits uh, for direct care workers. This is another way that we see uh, sort of racism manifested because we know that these direct care uh, workers are more likely to be immigrant women and to be people of color. Uh, there's also this issue of uh, sort of Americanized food choices or even white-centric activity programming within nursing homes. So there's some qualitative research out here uh, from one of my mentors here at the University of Minnesota, Dr. Tatiana Shippey, that talks about um, and, and really quotes some really strong things from uh, nursing home residents that talk about there are games that I'm not interested in playing, or there's food that does not reflect my culture. Uh, and those are in other ways in which we see um, this white-centric idea or white supremacy uh, being imposed upon minoritized populations, making it more difficult to successfully age within long-term care facilities. And then the last piece, the piece that I've been itching to get to is around colorblind policy making. So colorblind policies such as the five-star uh, rating system have been shown to exacerbate disparities within nursing homes. Um, and I also do some work to look at this within other community-based options. 
So it's not specific only to nursing homes, but what we see is a decreased access or decreased quality of care uh, when we apply these really blanket policies such as public reporting or pay for performance, what we see is that that exacerbates disparities in access, inequities in access, as well as inequities in care. I wanted to um, point out one of the first studies that I did around inappropriate antipsychotic use in nursing homes. Here we identified um, that inappropriate antipsychotic use was highest in Medicaid-reliant nursing homes. There was no surprise there. And then uh, we also found that it was higher in low black nursing homes. And this seemed quite contrary to uh, what we thought we would see or what we expected to see. So there's another study that was published recently um, and was also featured in the New York Times around schizophrenia reporting in nursing homes. So after that, strange finding of antipsychotics being lower or being yet yeah, lower in high black nursing homes and lower in low black nursing homes, I started to wonder, okay, we're measuring inappropriate antipsychotics. So is there something that might be happening here where uh, nursing homes might be finding a way to change the way things that are reported? Um, and as I was exploring that question, um, I started to look more at the National Partnership on Dementia Care. And it definitely has been heralded as a success in recruit, uh, reducing antipsychotic use across the board. But now we have to start to think about sort of the unintended consequences of this colorblind policy. This policy that comes out and says, we're going to improve dementia care for all nursing home residents, in actuality may not have made a difference for Black nursing home residents. Uh, and many of you may be familiar with this study or may be familiar with sort of this idea. The New York Times did some work on this to show this. But what it looks like is that schizophrenia reporting after the introduction of this partnership to decrease antipsychotic use actually increased uh, for Black nursing home residents with dementia specifically, while it was decreasing for all other nursing home uh, residents. So again, when we talk about this within and between nursing home inequities, what we're seeing here is actually a within nursing home inequity, which means Black nursing home residents with dementia are being treated differently than other nursing home residents. Now, I have to say, that this work here is not statistically causal, right? And so a lot of times we um, hear questions as equity researchers and those doing work on racism about, well, is this causal? Are you saying that this caused this difference? Statistically speaking, no. But what we know in practice and in reality, what we know uh, sort of uh, from lived experiences is that racism does cause these differences. It allows policies to come in and exacerbate inequities that already exist. So after all of that information of doom and gloom and um, really understanding how pervasive uh, racism is and how it even permeates the walls of nursing homes where folks go to live the last years of their life or even to receive post-acute care, 
I have to start to think about where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Where can we see uh, policies for advancing health equity? Also recognizing that policies sometimes exacerbate disparities. Where can we create change to see advancements in equity? I think the first piece is making sure that policies are targeted, okay? No more blanket policy improves quality for everyone. We have to be really strategic about targeting high Medicaid nursing homes in order to increase their pay or uh, in re reimbursement or targeting nursing homes that are predominantly Black in order to better serve those populations that have been so underserved. And we can see that through the data and over decades has not really changed any, um, not has not really changed very much. So targeting nursing homes, I think is one of the biggest steps. And then the next two things I have here are around increasing nursing staff levels uh, and as well as increasing Medicaid reimbursement. I shared uh, sort of the study earlier about how increasing uh, Medicaid reimbursement by $10 could drastically change things for Black nursing home residents, much more than it would for the white nursing home residents. So that lets us know how much uh, structural racism is really linked to the inequities that we see. Higher nursing staff levels are associated with higher nursing home quality. But uh, Black residents are more likely to live in nursing homes, as I mentioned, that rely on Medicaid re reimbursement and have lower staffing levels compared to white residents. And so racial and ethnic disparities are inherently linked to this payer mix and reimbursement rates and payment models. And so nursing homes, um, they can be very responsive to reimbursement levels and increasing staffing levels uh, when Medicaid or Medicare increases their reimbursement rates. And because we already know that from the literature, that's even more reason for us to advocate for increase uh, increases in Medicaid reimbursements. And although some of that has happened with the COVID-19 pandemic, how much of that is sustainable and how can that be sustained, I think is a really big question uh, that needs to be grappled with. Another piece here uh, is adjusting sort of our pay for performance and our public reporting for the social determinants of health, as well as um, racism itself. So tying this risk adjustment um, and pay for performance models to the social determinants of health is really important. Right now, as it stands, many of these uh, pay for performance and public reporting and value-based purchasing models do not take into account the historic structures that exist that exacerbate inequities for uh, the long-term care population. We also have to consider measures of health equity. So if nursing homes are competing for um, higher quality metrics, whether it's decrease inappropriate antipsychotics, we should also have a countermeasure to understand are there changes in schizophrenia rates, for example, and other measures of health equity are so important uh, to start to develop and to advocate for and to start implementing within how payment structures work. Uh, 
I know there's another webinar coming up later this month about culture change. And what we found in some of our research is that implementing and encouraging culture change uh, is so vitally important. And we don't see it enough within Medicaid-reliant and high-proportion Black uh, nursing homes. So encouraging this, providing resources for culture change uh, is a really important policy and practice for advancing health equity. And then I think tied to that is improving staff experiences, benefits, and pay. We know that if we have a happier more well-supported staff, that inequities will decrease, that there are improvements in the quality of care. And so I will pause there. I think I've left a good amount of time for questions and answers. Um, so we can go into some discussion now. And if there's anything I need to go back and clarify, I'm happy to do that. I hope I didn't fly through that too quickly. Thanks. Uh, we're, I'm gonna quickly, you teed us off to promote our uh, our upcoming webinar on culture change. So I'm going to just quickly get back to my PowerPoint and share some of the information for that program. And then we'll uh, have some time for Q&A. And a reminder, you can put questions in the Q&A and we will uh, do our best to answer them. So sharing from current slide. Great, so uh, you teed us off perfectly. In a couple weeks, uh, we have a bonus March webinar about nursing home culture change, about the history, the models, the research and policy uh, recommendations. Uh, Nina Lowenstein, our uh, legal analyst will be the presenter and you can uh, register for this program at the link here, uh, bit.ly slash nh-culture-webinar and it'll be put in the chat. Um, we're looking forward to that. And for other materials, again, we will post the video and slides from this program on our website at nursinghome411.org. And again, this is the link to the upcoming March webinar. And lastly, uh, if your program supervisor, uh, and if, if you're a New York long-term care ombudsman and your program supervisor allows credit for attending this training program, please take the quick survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash ltccc dash LTCOP1. We will put that link in the chat. And uh, thanks for an excellent program. We're going to move on to Q&A. Thanks. That was so interesting, Shekinah, and, and really um, thought-provoking as well. So, so thank you. Um, we do have a couple of questions. I'm actually going to take the host prerogative and, and ask my own question first. Uh, you had mentioned that um, that there was increased funding that nursing homes, of course, received during the pandemic, um, and you know that that that's not sustainable. Which, of course, you know, obviously, uh, you know, for those of you who are not as familiar to the CARES Act, nursing homes received many billions of dollars of funds to um, support their providing good care and quality of life and services to residents in facilities that are certified under the Medicare and Medicaid programs. Uh, I was just wondering if you knew of any evidence whether 
that made an improvement in the care or services, um, particularly for uh, facilities that are serving a, a, a people of color or a large number of, of people that are, as you call it, minority, majority, et cetera? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. You know, I am not too familiar with any literature that's come out uh, specifically about that. I know there was just sort of a lot of questions around where that money was going, right? So if we reimburse or we incentivize nursing homes um, for lower rates of COVID or um, for their quality of care around COVID, that already disproportionately uh, positions nursing homes with a higher proportion of Black residents because we know that those nursing homes are in counties and neighborhoods with higher transmission rates. So I know there was a a lot of concern around that. I don't know of any um, sort of empirical evidence around how that um, money may have impacted, but I will definitely be on the lookout to see. And if it's not out there, I'm sure um, it, it should be soon. Yeah, interesting. Um, Before we move on, as you were talking, I was thinking also, you know, the states got incentives for doing infection control inspections. um, And it would be interesting to see where they went. um, uh, Because I assume there'll be a, you know, a record, of course, of where they they conducted those surveys. And that would be interesting, too, to see uh, how how that was targeted. um, uh, and, and, And if that was effective in addressing some of the issues that you've raised. Um, so this, this actually relates to two of the questions that we've received. One is from an anonymous attendee. How do we know which nursing homes have more minoritized residents? So we know that from data. Um, I think there's some publicly available data that can be used, like the long-term care focus um, that's housed at Brown University. Um, And we could also know that somewhat from location, right? So if we look at census data and we find those neighborhoods that are predominantly Black, those nursing homes will be more likely to have more minoritized residents. Um, But definitely some publicly available data out there. And you can look for nursing homes. I think the average is about what we consider a high Black or high minority nursing home would be a nursing home with less than 70% of their residents identifying as white. So um, it really still is, and and I think it varies by state. So you have to think about that as well because it depends on the racial makeup of the state, but um, that's sort of the general national number that we go with. Interesting. Um, I actually have a follow-up question to that. We've been thinking about this a lot and how to kind of to get at that. And uh, the information, I think, on like public information on by zip code or by county on racial profiling is is very accessible, less accessible, although we actually just just downloaded the LTC focus um, um, database uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, And I know that it has some of those underlying data as well. But I guess my question is, do you see discrepancies between the. uh, the location of the nursing home and the nursing home population, or do you, do you, in your view or in your perception, do you, um, do you think that they kind of match? I think 
they kind of match. Um, at least that's what the literature has said. So one of the studies I showed in that, that first slide, happy to share a citation later, but it talks about how um, the segregation of the nursing home, so that racial composition of the nursing home align uh, pretty well, I don't want to say exactly, but what, but pretty well with the, the racial composition of the neighborhood itself. So I imagine that that still continues to be the case um, because of where folks want to be, right, in relation to their other family members, sure. caregivers, friends, that sort of thing. And I, and I would say also where they're sent, you know, the, where, you know, the, you know, even they wanted to go someplace else, they may not have, like, say, you know, thinking about a city like New York or any other major city that has um, wealthy areas, poor areas, et cetera, is that you, I bet that you're directed to, to, to specific places based upon um, where you come from and, um, and what you look like. Um, interesting. These are all interesting questions. So thank you. Um, the next question is from Pam Waltz. And it is, can you talk a little more about adjusting for the State Department of Health slash racism in reimbursement? What should we look for in advocating with our states around their value-based purchasing or pay-for-performance policies? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so right now, so one of the reasons, I guess, um, I should start with the reason we talk about adjusting for the social determinants of health or racism um, is because we know that those are some of the main causes for the inequities in care that we're seeing as well as the quality of life. And if we are paying um, nursing homes or reimbursing nursing homes that are already doing well at a higher rate, or we're penalizing nursing homes that aren't doing well, um, then we are just contributing to the problems, right? And so, and, and I do want to address a comment as well that I saw in the chat that however, these black nursing homes are providing poorer care is what the comment says, um, and that black families tend not to push back as much as white families. And I think this is, you know, how racism has been ingrained within our system um, and within our ideologies and culture to not know that perhaps there is a higher level of care that I could be asking for or that I could be receiving. Um, and so I think there is a sort of a knowledge disconnect there as well as this idea of privilege. When we're talking about racism and white supremacy, even, it is really a function of privilege. Do you believe that you have the privilege to ask for better care or receive better care? Um, and so because some of those issues exist, um, and when we talk about social determinants of health, whether it's housing or location, um, when we don't adjust for those within our reimbursement models, we're sort of just sitting policies on top of those things, right? So we're not mitigating those things and we're further disadvantaging those nursing homes uh, that could actually use the reimbursement. So they're already low resource nursing homes. That's why the quality of care is poor. It's not because black people are choosing to go to lower quality nursing homes. It's because they have fewer resources. And so when we penalize them for serving the populations um, that might have worse outcomes, once again, connecting back to structural racism, um, then we are not supporting them in improving the quality of care. I hope that that makes sense. It's kind of a, a cyclical answer because that's really what this is. It's a system that's interconnected. It's a cycle that 
seems to never stop, um, but there's a lot of work that we can do in terms of policy. I want to direct you um, to a paper that we recently wrote and published on evidence for action. Um, and I think this paper is in JAMDA, uh, and it's called Addressing Systemic Racism Across Long-Term Services and Supports, and it provides um, citations for some of the literature within social determinants of health, as well as some of these other policy recommendations that hopefully you can dig a little deeper into um, to provide more clarity on what can be adjusted for and how it can be adjusted for. I will say this is still in the works, right? We still don't have a clear measure of racism. And so it's going to be hard to adjust for that. Uh, but that's, thing, that's something that we're working towards. So the next question is from an anonymous attendee. And, and this person asks, are there quality of care disparities between for-profit versus not-for-profit nursing homes that impact minoritized residents? Yeah, there are. Um, and there's, I think, a wealth of literature on that as well, that um, there, there are quality differences between those two, and, and it tends to be worse quality of care within for-profit uh, nursing homes. Thanks. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, that's, of course, what we, um, unfortunately, we see not every nursing home, but I think that um, overall uh, yeah, industry-wide. Yeah, um, say the aggregate. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next question is from Sarah Shana, and um, she re refers to Joan Burke's question about uh, addressing the care workers, which was, I think, more of a comment. But I'll read Joan's, um, which was uh, I thought it was an interesting comment. So Joan had commented, most of the direct care workers are people of color who are less likely to question or challenge the system of which they're working because of the need to maintain their jobs. Another way, racism by the administration and care provided continues to be substandard. Um, and I thought that was an interesting comment. And then um, Sarah Shana here says, um, regarding a question addressing the care workers and their reluctance to challenge the system in which they work um, as minoritized people themselves wanting to avoid risks of their job. So that's not a question, I'm sorry. It's more another comment and an interesting comment, but... Um, uh, and then Douglas Samuels asked, can we talk about how Black national organizations like the Urban League or the NAACP are addressing the concerns you addressed in your presentation today? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. And to be honest, I do not have an answer for that. Um, but it's something that I, I will admit, I feel like I've been stuck in this academic world for a very long time, but it's something that I will definitely take a note of um, and think a little bit more about. I know locally, um, some of our local organizations here in Minnesota are hosting um, a wealth of informational sessions um, to educate and, and get the information out there and empower groups to seek better care, higher quality care, to advocate for themselves within nursing homes. So I wonder if national organizations are doing this on a broader level, but I do not know personally. So um, that is definitely something worth looking into. Um, and I will do yeah. that. Thanks. I've tried to reach out a couple of times over the years, especially when there's something that has come up similar, it wasn't specifically the time story that you mentioned about the rates of schizophrenia diagnoses among um, residents who, of color, but uh, there were other studies, of course, you know, throughout the years that have, you know, shown exactly what you were talking about today. 
and I haven't been able, you know, really gotten any um, any response, unfortunately. But um, I, I think it's uh, obviously it's important and valuable. Um, we have a question from Barry Bertel. Does the staff being mostly black and brown personnel make any difference in the treatment dealing with racism? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of work around uh, racial concordance between uh, patients and providers, but I think the issue with nursing home staff and other direct care workers is that there isn't much mobility for people of color. So although we see um, the staff makeup of sort of these direct care workers, um, the nursing staff being uh, more women of color, Oftentimes that does not translate to management, that doesn't translate to those who are making decisions, uh, those who are deciding where the money is going. Um, and so it is hard to see um, those, I don't wanna call them smaller actors, but it's hard to see uh, direct care workers or nursing staff being able to really make a large scale structural change. Um, on an interpersonal relationship level, I think that helps to improve the quality of life for Black residents um, within nursing homes, but it is not making a huge difference structurally, which is sort of our goal here. Um, and so there needs to be more upward mobility and um, space for advancement for these women of color that are working as nurses within the nursing home. Um. I just have a follow-up. I know we're, we're approaching the end of the hour. Um, I'm just wondering, are you aware of any, um, uh, any programs or activities to foster uh, greater representation uh, among uh, people of color in higher rankings of the industry, you know, such as the administration level, such as the um, you know, in the lobby associations on the state and, and the national level, it'd be interesting to, it seems to me like it'd be interesting and worthwhile to, um, uh, to have that. Yeah, I um I haven't seen anything. I don't know of anything specifically, but I, I like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard of it in other sectors. I don't right. know of it specifically in nursing homes. Also something worth digging into yes. <laughs> and working a project around is nothing more. So I'd love to talk about that more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been wonderful. And, and, and thank you so much for your presentation. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Eric, do you have any wrap up or... Um... No, just uh, we will be posting uh, video and, and slides of this program, and uh, we uh, hope that you review it and you share it with your networks uh, because uh, we think this is an important topic, uh, and we hope to see you on uh, March 29th. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.